pray with me, please? Lord, nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Amen. Today, with the Super Bowl just one week away, I want to recall for you one of the most colorful and fascinating players ever to play in the National Football League. He was a quarterback named Kenny Stabler. He grew up in the little town of Foley, Alabama. He played football in college under Bear Bryant at the University of Alabama. And then he went on to quarterback the Oakland Raiders at the point in time where they were the powerhouse team in professional football. Now, Kenny Stabler developed a great reputation for his daring play at quarterback. In fact, one of the things that he did was to throw what was called the bomb, a long, long pass to the wide receiver. Kenny Stabler may have thrown the bomb better than anyone else ever has. Well, at one point, at the peak of his popularity, Kenny Stabler was interviewed by a reporter. And the reporter asked him if he would be willing to comment upon some words written by the noted author Jack London. Stabler agreed. And so the reporter proceeded to read Jack London's words. Here they are. I would rather be ashes than dust. I would rather be a spark burning out in a brilliant blaze than be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a flashing meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleeping permanent planet. The proper function of humankind is to be alive, not just to exist. I shall not waste my days, rather, I shall use my time. The reporter then paused to let the words sink in for a moment. And then the reporter said to Kenny Stabler, Now, what do those words mean to you? Kenny Stabler responded immediately, Throw deep. Ha! Throw deep. You see, Kenny Stabler and Jack London both understood that sometimes... You have to run some risks in life. The fact of the matter is, it is risk which makes athletics exciting. Furthermore, it is risk which enables life to yield to us its fullest possibilities. Even more importantly, and more to the point for me, it is risk which injects power into our personal faith. Now, having said that, let me go on to say that it seems to me today that there are too many Christians who are afraid to risk, afraid to try, afraid to step out, afraid to throw deep, afraid to Take the plunge. Take the plunge. In Christian terms, we refer to that as the leap of faith. What that means is that we are called to be willing 
to throw ourselves without reserve upon the mighty matchless resources of Almighty God. There are too many Christians today who, who just don't seem to be willing to take the leap of faith, to take the plunge. Take the plunge. That phrase reminds me of a great story, a story in the Old Testament, the book of Second Kings. It's the story of a man named Naaman. Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army. He was a mighty warrior and a national hero. He possessed power and prominence and prestige. He was handsome. He was confident. He was wealthy. He was influential. Naaman, to put it bluntly, had it all. And then something happened. Something terrible happened. The Bible puts it so plainly, but so clearly. The Bible says Naaman was a valiant soldier, but Naaman was a leper. Dear God, here he was, this great man whose fame as a warrior was spread far and wide, and yet suddenly he found himself having to do battle with an incredibly dreadful disease. His name was on every tongue, and yet he was afflicted with an unspeakably horrible condition. And his illness was only growing worse. Now at that point, a young servant girl in Naaman's household, she was a young Jewish girl, she approached Naaman's wife and said to her, if only my master could visit the prophet of God who lives in Samaria, that prophet would be able to cure him of his leprosy. Well, Naaman by this point was driven to desperation by his disease. He was ready to try anything. And so when he received this suggestion, he immediately loaded up a great caravan and set out for Samaria. Now the prophet of God he intended to see there was the prophet named Elisha. But it was at that point that Naaman encountered a letdown. In the first place, Elisha did not receive him as this important heroic figure. As a matter of fact, Elisha never even came out of his house. He sent a servant out to tell Naaman what he needed to do. I have to tell you at first glance that seems certainly insensitive and maybe even discourteous or downright rude. But I want you to understand something here. Elisha was not being discourteous and rude at all. Elisha was trying to make a point. Elisha wanted Naaman to focus his faith not upon the prophet, but upon God. He wanted Naaman to believe not in the power of Elisha, but in the power of Almighty God. That's so important for us to see and to grasp. Let me bring it right here home. The only thing that really matters when we come here on Sundays, the only thing that really matters 
is the power of God that is in this place waiting for us. The important thing is not the quality of the music, but whether that music expresses our praise and exaltation of God. What is the most important thing is not the voice or the manner of the preacher, but rather his message. Not how he says a thing, but what he says. You see here, you are to see not some man in the pulpit, but the man on the cross. Here you are to experience not the personality of the preacher, but the power of Almighty God. And that power is here, waiting for us now. That's the point that Elisha was trying to drive home to Naaman. And so Elisha sent his servant out to Naaman, and the servant said to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the river Jordan, and you will be made well. <clears throat> I want to tell you that didn't sit well with Naaman. In the first place, he didn't like the reception he got. He was a distinguished man, and he was not being treated in that manner. Furthermore, he didn't like the prescription he got. He wasn't really very eager to plunge himself down into the muddy waters of the Jordan River. And so in anger and frustration, he proceeded to prepare to head back home. Now at that point, one of his servants said something to him, delivered to him a very powerful word. The servant said to Naaman, Sir, what have you got to lose? Why not try? Why not run the risk? Nothing risked, nothing gained. Well, Naaman heard that word. And so he laid aside his frustration. He tamped down his anger. And he proceeded to plunge himself seven times into the water of the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the water, he was clean and whole and well again. Oh, what a great story that is. <laughs> More to the point. It's a story I believe that we in the church today need to hear. You see, too often these days it seems to me that Christians are trying to hold fast to our measly human resources instead of throwing ourselves without reserve on the matchless resources of God. Too many times today it seems to me that we as Christians are wanting to pamper ourselves into mediocrity instead of plunging ourselves into immortality. Too many times today it seems to me that Christians, instead of saying nothing risked, nothing gained, instead they say, oh, nothing ventured, nothing lost. That is precisely why today I want to call us in Providence Church to throw deep, to take the plunge, to get out of the stands and off the sidelines and into the game. I want to call us to a great 
blazing, scintillating, transforming, triumphant faith in Jesus Christ. I want to call us to make Jesus Christ the constant, consistent, consuming, controlling center of our lives. And in order to do that, I want to remind us today of the power of an individual at work for the Lord. It does seem to me that today there are too many Christians who are paralyzed by their own individuality. They are victims of what Ernest T. Campbell used to call the I can't do everything so I won't do anything syndrome. Do you remember the time when Jesus was preaching to the 5,000? And the Bible tells us that the disciples got all worked up wondering about how all of these people were going to be fed. One of those disciples, Philip, must have had a good head for figures. He very quickly calculated that $200 worth of bread wouldn't begin to feed them all. Andrew, well, he managed to find five loaves and a couple of fish in the possession of a small boy, but he wasn't very impressed. What good are they, he said. Do you understand that that's just another way of saying what I hear so many Christians saying today? I can't do everything. I'm just one person. I can't do everything. I can't solve all the myriad problems that exist in our world. And so therefore, if I can't do everything, then why bother with trying to do anything? Dear friends, anyone who says something like that has forgotten the difference that one nurse can make in a hospital ward, that one flight attendant can make on a delayed airplane, that one teacher can make in a school, that one player can make on a basketball team. I mean, remember, please, one vote elected Thomas Jefferson, President of the United States. One vote admitted Texas, Washington, Oregon, and California to the Union. One vote made English, not German, the official language of America. One person can make all the difference, especially, I would contend, if that one person is working for the Lord. I think here of a man named John Woolman. He lived in 18th century America. He was a Quaker Christian. And he became disturbed that so many of his fellow Quakers owned slaves. He decided he wanted to rid Quakerism of that blight. So you know what he did? Oh, he didn't do any picketing. He didn't incite any riots. He didn't conduct any rallies. No. All alone, he simply began to travel about visiting with his fellow Quakers who owned slaves, asking them questions, questions like this. What does owning a slave say about you as a Christian and a moral person? That's what he did, working all alone. He kept on traveling, he kept on visiting, and he kept on asking his questions until, at last, 
100 years before the Civil War was ever fought, not a single Quaker in America owned a slave. One person, but one person at work for the Lord. And that one person made all the difference in the world. Dear friends, if it is true that God is love, and it is, if it is true that God is in this world, and he is, if it is true that God is with us, and he is, if it is true that God's will will prevail, and it will, then let that move us today to say, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. Lord God, help me to do it. Because you see, so many, many times, just one person at work for the Lord can make all the difference in the world. And then, I'd like to remind us of the purpose for our living in the Lord. Too many Christians today, it seems to me, are afraid of the obstacles, afraid of the challenges, afraid of the difficulties, afraid of the problems. Too many Christians today, it seems to me, want to hunker down, bury their heads in the sand. Too many Christians today seem to be yearning for the good old days, forgetting that the only good thing about the good old days is that they are gone. Too many Christians today are too quick to say, oh, nothing ventured, nothing lost, instead of nothing risked, nothing gained. Too many Christians today seem to want to go back, back to a Garden of Eden-type existence, forgetting that the Bible tells us that God put two angels with flaming swords across the gate of Eden to remind us that we cannot go back. We can only go ahead. Too many Christians today would have us believe that it is wrong to run risks in the name of Jesus Christ. My beloved people, you need to hear me clearly. I do not believe that for even a single moment. The fact of the matter is, that I believe that I shall never become everything that God expects me to be until I am willing to risk some new beginnings in His service. Let me put that another way. I believe what the Bible says, that you and I have been given by God dominion over this world. That means that you and I are to work in partnership with God for the governing of this world, His world. That's our purpose for living. That's why we're here, to work in partnership with our great God. So, we ask for bread, and what does God do? <laughs> He gives us seeds, and he says, start planting. We ask for castles, and he puts them in the air of our dreams, and he says, start laying the foundations. We ask for the promised land, 
And he points us to the desert and he says, start walking, it's on the other side. That's the purpose for our living. You and I are made for the great adventure of living for God in this world. And he calls us to live the gospel to the fullest in every way, in every day, cost whatever it may. There it is. That's what I want you to see and never forget. You and I are the children of the living God. You and I are made for the great adventure of faith. You and I are a part of the church of Jesus Christ, marching like a mighty army through the world and through human history. And therefore I call us today to a great faith in a great God. Throw deep, take the plunge, run the risk. Nothing risked, nothing gained. I know that's true because, like the great Apostle Paul, I am persuaded that nothing, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Pray with me, please. God on high, hear my prayer. Enable us by your power to live every day in every way for Jesus Christ, cost whatever it may. Amen and amen.